welcome to yet another episode of Queer Sounds. My name is Hannah, pronouns they, them. And today I'm here with friend of the show, Lulo D. Lou, welcome. Hey, nice to be here. Uh, should I say again? Or uh... Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, just so you know, for those unaware, Lou was here uh, to record an unreleased um, pilot of the show. So that makes a special guest. Hooray! Hooray! Special, special guest. Um, okay, Lou, if you would like to introduce yourself to our lovely audience, name, pronouns, what do you do in daily life, etc., etc., etc. Of course. Well, my name is Lou. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. I am a Brazilian trans feminine waitress most of the times. Oh, but you gotta make a living. Um, I um, run a support group for tree. I run a support group for queer non-binary uh, folks here in Utrecht. And I do a lot of work around, about gender, safer spaces, stuff like that. And how does that mostly manifest itself? Just support group or... Yeah, the support group is mostly what I'm doing right now. Um, because, well, I'm also in some own uh, personal processes. But I also do workshops um, whenever I get paid to do them. I also um, do some tutoring sometimes. I've been, I have worked with some organizations, with students, stuff like that. What type of tutoring? Um, basically just people who have uh, research, for example, on queer issues. Oh, I right. know a lot of people, so I can give them like tips, who to talk to, where to go to, what could be an interesting um, approach to a certain subject, all those things they've done. Some of them paid, most of them unpaid. Why un why unpaid? Is it just because no one's willing to pay them or your expertise is undervalued? Or, Well, I'd say all of the above, but it's also the fact that these are usually kids, like young students in their 20s, like yeah. um, beginning of their 20s. And I don't know, I have knowledge. I'm happy if it's for a cause that I like. Usually queer causes are something that I value or if something's going to benefit the community... I'm very happy to just use my knowledge and benefit of the community. So it's, it's, it mostly comes from an activist type of perspective. Would you say that? Yeah, I believe so. It's uh, not. I'm not the protest uh, marching type of activist, but I do a lot of, well, it's not exactly behind the scenes, but a lot of activism that's mostly not on the streets rioting. Right. Which is because, also good. Yeah, no, definitely. All type of activism is, is something, right? Yeah. Brazilian thing, let's tie into that uh, with our first track of the day. Um, let me just look it up real quick. Yep. Shall I introduce her a little bit? Oh, if you want to do that, go ahead. Yeah, so this is Bia Bedra. She's a Brazilian musician who focuses on children's music. And this is one of my first memories of music. And my parents um, always played this for me. I probably had the record as a child. And my aunts and uncles played it for their, their children so it's a bit of a a bit of a musical like introduction and listening to it again is a bit like oh okay so this is actually good music and it actually is something that i heard when i was like two or three so it's interesting to see like okay so maybe this was the start of everything all right uh so what's the track called how do i pronounce that um to be honest, I forgot which one because most of the whole album is uh, is something that I would that I would bring. All right, in that case, I'm just gonna give it my best shot at at the title. Uh, I think it's called Pedalino. Pedalino. Yeah, it's um, it basically means those little things that you row with your feet. All right, it's little pedal boats. Yeah, little pedal boats. Yeah, I, I I I totally looked it up before we started recording. Tell no one. Pedala, 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 pedalinho Me leva pra longe, bem devagarinho O mar tá bonito, tá cheio de caminho Pedala, 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 pedalinho Thank you. 
To be honest, I'm still kind of uh, impressed by the quality of this song. It's like so good, and it's like this is a children's song. Yeah, no. Uh, uh, looking at the um, the art style uh, on, on like the album cover, it's it seems targeted, marketed at children. But you know, I wouldn't know any better as this is just one in a row of traditional folk songs. Yeah, it's just. Just really good and really good like harmony being used and different voices. It's like, yeah. this thing is complex. It's yeah. way complexer than you'd expect from a, ch- a children's song. That's for sure. Yeah, and really, yeah. I don't know. It's a it's a really good song. <laughs> so, do you? Is this just that you picked because it's something you used to listen to as a kid, or is this something you still listen to every now and again? No, I haven't listened to this in years. That's why oh, it's a wow. bit surprising for me to. To be really fair, I hadn't even, like, I looked up the titles, I listened to it a bit, and just like, okay, so it's this one. All right. Um, I didn't even listen to it, like, completely. So for me, this is a bit of a, like, I'm really experiencing it again now. And it's like, fuck, this is good. <laughs> in in what way? Does it, does it spark any memories or? Well, it sparks more of a feeling, I guess. I don't know. Can you describe that feeling for me? It just feels very warm in a way. Like good warm and good that's kind of all it, it feels like a kind of parental embrace is that what you're saying like linked to any kids feelings i don't know mm, i don't know if it's like a parental embrace but just i don't know it just feels good yeah that warm and good I'd, maybe a parental's embrace feels seems a bit like a lullaby song but yeah yeah for me it yeah, I don't know how to explain it exactly, but yeah. I mean, it also really uh, helps that it starts up with that very little tranquil bit of water in the background that actually lasts throughout the song. If that weren't there, I think it definitely sets the tone for the for the rest of the song. Like you can imagine yourself like just pedaling along. Yeah, I think maybe that's it. You know, like if if you think about the soothing part, it's also a bit like. The soothingness of being on the water, like on a day that's very calm, and you're just like there paddling, and I don't know. So, is this one an example of many, or is this just this entire album something that you put on repeat? Were there more? Um, I think this is something that was just very big in my family. Um, well, not just my family. This was very big when I grew up. Um, I remember people talking about she playing in my school when I was like. Oh, wow. Pre-kindergarten or something. I was like three and she came to play for the children there. Probably knew somebody that also, it was a bit of a hip um, left-wing school in Rio. Right. So um, I think it's something that she probably knew somebody and then she went there to play as well for the kids. But yeah, I don't know. For me, it just really reminds me a bit of like, if you talk about Brazil and music and the relation that people have to music, it's a bit like this, like, this is where it can start. Right. Like when you're two, when you're one, your parents just like put on some children's music and children's music in Brazil can be really good. Um, yeah, I definitely say so, judging from this example. I mean, this, this, like you pointed out, like the harmonies, the guitar playing, it's, it's pretty complex stuff. Um, so would you say that's a, that plays a larger role in, in, Raising your kids in Brazil than it does in in the Netherlands or anywhere else. It's hard to say, right? No, no real frame of reference there. No, like I, yeah, I only have one family, you know. Yeah, <laughs> and I haven't true. raised any kids of my own yet. So true, true. Um, but is all Brazilian kids music like this? Is all this complex, or is it just a specific artist? Well, this is a specific artist, right? So this also you can say that it comes from a specific class as well. Right. But I think there's a lot of very strong, very good Brazilian music around. Public television used to have a lot of good Brazilian music as well with very good um, TV shows for children. 
And yeah, so I think there's a lot of space for that in Brazil. And I think Brazil is a musical society in general. Mm-hmm. Um, again, not everybody will listen to this type of music, but I think that there is songs, there is a huge amount of folk songs, of old songs that, yeah, that you also hear. Like my grandmother used to sing me a few songs and, you know, you listen to this, you listen to other stuff, you see it on TV. So I would say there's probably something there, you know, that... So does Pedalino, uh, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, tie into the same type of folk songs or grammar songs traditions? Because I remember, like, for example, when I listen to, uh, like, this, the childhood songs that I've been, um, that, I've, that I grew up with, um, they're usually, like, literally from when my from when my grandma was, like, five or younger. Is that something that this song ties into in, in the Brazilian sense of it? Well, a little bit, yeah. Um, maybe not this song in particular, but there are other songs in it as well that also tie very strongly in um, either Brazilian harmonies or even in um, like the lyrics. A lyric of another song in particular says about a losing a ring in the sea and not being able to find it. And then the sea ends up bringing a seashell as a gift. Hmm. And I think that's something that can... Like, it doesn't say it, but can also be tied, for example, to Brazilian spirituality about, you know, how we deal with the ocean as well and that type of stuff. Because kids' songs obviously obviously tend to have, like, some kind of hidden message in it, like you just described. Does this this song have that as well? I don't think it's necessarily a hidden message, but more of a reference to something. So what is it referencing? Because my Portuguese isn't on point. Yeah, this one, I think, is a lot about that feeling of being on the... Of just being on a very chill day in this little pedal pedal boat pedal boat whatever you call it yeah. and yeah just having like good weather chill day not a lot of um not a lot of waves and just being able to you know have this really smooth journey and uh, maybe there is a hidden message in there like if we want to start interpreting it we'll probably find some but nothing that really shouts out to it right Obviously, we, we, we already largely touched upon growing up in Brazil. How is that for you as a trans person, um, if I may be so blunt? Yeah, um, well, really hard, um, especially because I grew up in Brazil and in the States. So I was already kind of a foreigner in both places. Right. And yeah, not fitting is already kind of a given then. And Brazil has a very strong uh, macho culture, especially back when I was growing up. This is in the middle of the 90s. So before a lot of the more equalitarian revolution came around, which Mm -hmm. was very recent there. So I didn't have any trans, you know, um, role models, only trans people that I could see, which you, you didn't even hear the word trans, but more the transvestites. Right. How they are called, and they're on the streets doing sex work, like still playing into those very old stereotypes. Yeah, exactly. And nothing, and you know, if it is a trans woman, it's never really talked about with certainty or anything. And it, it was just weird. It was a like I was always different, and I think I was always feminine. I was bullied a lot because of that because I wasn't, you know, macho enough. Right. But at the same time, I like stereotypical boy things like video games and machines and stuff so when you're a kid it's hard to yeah to know oh yeah i'm trans like it's also probably because of that um lack of role models right yeah i'd say so yeah like i i only started really questioning that as a teenager and really like maybe you know maybe my life would be better as a girl and at the time there wasn't basically any support for that and also you know with no role models without knowing that's a possibility mm-hmm. being interested in a woman it all makes it harder right um how does that uh relate to um like the the brazil of 2019 because you know they recently started to criminalize transphobia as far well legally i don't know how that practically turns out do you have any thoughts or opinions on that? Yeah, I, I'm i a bit of an abolitionist myself. I think it's 
making something into a law is a very bad way to reduce it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, Brazil is still the number one killer of LGBT people in the world, mm-hmm. followed very farly by Mexico, which has like a third of the amount of people that happen in Brazil. Oish. So to be honest, oh yeah, let's criminalize it. Sure. So we can put some more black poor people in jail. Oof. Yeah. Because okay. that's that's what law does, right? Like that's the prison system. Yeah. Like the the people who are rich can run over people, can almost murder people, can you know, set an a native Brazilian on fire because it was a joke. Is and that is that that sounds too specific to have just it been happened. Thought of. No, it happened. Oh my god. So if you're rich, if your parents are powerful, nothing really happens. Right. And the prisons are full of black poor people, people of color. So yeah, sure. Let's um make it let's criminalize homophobia and transphobia. But you know, is it just that? Because society is still pretty bad in general. So are we gonna arrest everybody or are we just gonna arrest the black poor people like we usually do? Oh, that I, I'm kind of disappointed in myself that I didn't think of that before. Um, I think it's not it's not a very simple one. Like I, I feel yeah. very lucky that I have some friends who are very, who are abolitionists in Brazil and have very strong positions on that. You know, very strong positions on um, prisons and you know the failures of the prisonal system. And I think when you apply that to Brazil, which is a country where, you know, a lot of people have very to little support in their lives from the state, mm-hmm. like, yeah, then the state will only come into their lives. I mean, it did feel like a surprise that um, they announced this 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 law change in the first place because, you know, with the election of Bolsonaro, no one ever would have expected some progressive, seemingly progressive law change. Well, he did say that it was a mistake. Okay. I really should have done my research. Um, But you are right. And I think that the main reason is that it doesn't really matter. Like, yeah. And again, I'm not saying that I'm against it per se. Yeah. Because we need all the help we can get in Brazil. Oh, definitely. But, like, this is not something that will, you know, magically happen. Like, you're going to call the police? I thought that all cops were bastards. You know? <laughs> and if the police right, yeah. is extremely homophobic and transphobic, and they're the ones having to do the arrests, like... Yeah, it's, it's going to be one exception after another, and people cl- turning a blind eye. Yeah, like how... Like, Brazil also has a law against racism for a long time ago. Okay. It's yeah. still racist as fuck. So, yeah. you know... Did it solve it? Did it not? I think I think it really needs a broader change. Yeah. And that really has to come with a lot of, you know, campaigns and acceptance and doesn't need to be a legal change. It has to be a change of mentality. Yeah. Maybe. A legal change on itself won't do it. Yeah. And of course, a change in the system because well, we all know the system in place that we have around the world is an imperial system. An mm-hmm. European imperial system. Because the places themselves had their own ways of dealing with gender. Like Brazil did. Like Africa had. Like everywhere around the world had. Even Europe. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to the second track of the day. I bet we'll get much deeper into this. But it feels about right to start playing our uh, Queer Artist of the Week. It's Tammy T. Perfect height for a 
second of that oh my god uh tammy t um it's a track called uh trans fan bonding a track about just a very emotional experience in the bathroom of i'd say a club or something uh, or anywhere really club or a party or yeah yeah library university any public space i think it's just a magical song um, you pointed out to me before, like, you're not entirely sure if she's trans or not, but this, this, this song is just, just so blunt, like, this, this it, might as well be a coming out of some sort. It, it just hits it so hard on the point that Nil. if this person is not trans, right on the head, they didn't write the song, just simply, it's impossible, it's, yeah, it's all the feelings of this moment and i think that's something that a lot of trans girls and trans femme people really experience and this moment that you see someone who's like you and you know with all the shit that we get just for existing just to see somebody who you think is beautiful and you feel like you know it just reflects back on you and yeah this fucking shit makes me cry all the time Mm. it's just such a good and i can really relate to it so bad with you know specific people but also with with others in my life and yeah it, yeah it, you don't really want to show no all right it's okay it's it's not a lot at no. least not for my standards <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's such a such a beautiful song and again uh we also talked about this last episode the great use of auto-tune in this it feels like part of the trans culture at this point. And this is like, all right, you want us to conform to your voice standards. We're not gonna. Yeah, right. Um, that this com- weird robot voice. Yeah. I mean, just imagine being able to have a voice like this in real life. I wouldn't sign up for it, but I'd love to try for a day. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a great song. It's uh, released this year. Um... At least the album is, uh, which descriptively titled "High Pitched and Moist." Um, great title. Uh, Tammy T herself is a Swedish uh, pop musician who resides in Berlin at the moment and uh, writes music there. Um, I think she's even Swedish slash German. All right. Um, also, just when you take a look at her Instagram, it's all pride, it's all uh, pink, it's activism, uh, promoting safe queer spaces, queer art, etc., etc., etc. Yeah, Tammy T, go check it out. Um, it's Where do we go from here? Because, oh my God, I just feel like there is so much going on in this track. I don't know. Maybe we just let it sink in for a bit. I think it's just, yeah. <sighs> Moving right along, though, because you, this is an audio medium, we shouldn't stay too quiet for too long. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, you already brilliantly put how, how it resonates with your own experience. Um, but from there, like, do you actively... Well, do you act whenever you notice people um, wanting a similar type of, you know, comforting? Like when you see another trans femme person in in in, in struggles, uh, you go up to them, hey, want a hug? Or how does this reflect on you as a person? Well, I think that. Well, I think in a way, I do. Um, like I, I don't, I can't say like, oh yeah, I do that every weekend, but I think I've also, I think it's not a one way thing, right? This is not about one trans femme encountering the other and then feeling super good. 
but more about this meeting of two. And I think that happens a lot. You know, you just meet another trans femme and there's this like, you're like me type of bond that happens. Mm -hmm. And I think just existing together can bring us so much strength, especially because to be honest, most of the times, um, it's really lonely out there, especially if you think about clubs, if it's not an explicitly queer club or, um, yeah, I don't know. I was at a party at Pride here in Utrecht this year, and it was lonely as fuck. I didn't see anybody like me. So mm. in that moment, like, if I had met anybody who, you know, was trans feminine and we looked at each other and just acknowledged our existence, it's already something like this. And, of course, the more you know somebody, the more they're in your life, the more you can be, you can be intimate with each other. I think the more that this song really resonates with you. It's so weird that something like that can even happen at a Pride event. Is it though? Disappointed, but not surprised? Yeah, maybe, maybe that, maybe that's a better description of it. But yeah, uh, I'm just, I'm just blown away. How does this, you know, this is, this, this song obviously being, um, uh, I would say real, blunt description of at least lyrically of this specific event um i'm gonna gonna read some of the lyrics here in case uh didn't uh wasn't quite uh understandable in 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 the song itself a newfound sister at 4 a.m don't often meet girls like us so fucking brave so fucking femme these moments are so precious and I think that that those two those two lines so fucking brave so fucking femme like that I feel like those are the two strongest one in two strongest ones in there, um, just because you know we all know how it is with with presenting trans feminine as an assigned male at birth. Um, yeah, I think yeah. for me the most. And it's my favorite part of the song. And what I think is the strongest verses are actually the last ones, which is thankful that you're showing me who I am and what I can do. I don't know what I would be if it wasn't for girls like you. So really the bit that expresses the gratitude that there are, that some people who are like you acknowledge your existence there. Yeah, and it's and it's very interesting that it's uh it's on uh it's on repeat. Yeah. So I really feel like this is something that is not this is not just about, you know, these two in that bathroom, which is what the song's about, but from every trans girl, every trans femme person to the other trans femme person to the other trans femme person, mm-hmm. that this is something this is a collective feeling and I know for sure that the more I started accepting myself, the more I was able to see other trans girls as beautiful, the more I saw more trans girls as beautiful, the more I could accept myself. Right. This thing, like, and of course, this is not just about beauty standards because, well, we all know that they are fascist, but about really appreciating the beauty of somebody who is brave, who's existing, who's really like out there and just living. And there's a super strong beauty in that. Yeah. That I feel like we can really recognize and and from there, you know, that's where we say, okay, I can do this too. Something that goes way beyond passing and more ties into being there for each other and just allowing each other to exist. Yeah, and to be a bit unapologetically you in a society that wants you dead. Okay, that was yeah. a bit rough, but it's truth though. <laughs> yeah, I, I, or at least I, norma- normatized. I, I, I envy your bravery in that aspect. Um, but I do want to talk a little bit more about activism, though, um, because uh, this is this bit is just getting me down personally and is making me feel guilty about how I try to justify my own. Hey, uh, hey, no guilt here. Yeah, no guilt here. We all have our own life, our own struggles, and our own time. 
Yeah. Oh, like definitely. I'm fucking 30. How old I am again? I am 33. And I only started coming out when I was 30. Right. So, yeah, it takes everybody their own time and and we all have our own journey. Yeah, I'm not blaming myself for not doing anything. I'm just blaming myself for being impatient, I guess. No, that's not entirely true. Okay, I'm just going to cut this whole lot because this gets too confrontational and I don't like it. Um, okay, back to <laughs> activism. Back to activism. Um because you, like you pointed out earlier, you host your own support group. Where did that come from? Let's let's talk about Chicuity. Okay, so Chicuity came from the idea that well, I was going through, I was going to a few support groups here in Utrecht. Mm-hmm. Well, basically one, um, and it really helped me. I went there twice, and it really helped me in a way. But I felt like I outgrew it so quickly. Like one month, I felt like I was a bit in the same boat as everybody. Yeah. The next month, I went through a very quick, granted, but important life change process in myself. And then suddenly, that group was so far behind that it was like, okay, this is this is a good group, but I need more. Right. And there wasn't. And if there isn't, well, might as well make one myself. What was the main difference? What what was the change that you went through that you feel like they didn't? I like to say that I transitioned into myself during oh, that wow. time. A lot of the doubts that I had, a lot of the questions that I had about myself in that one month, like being in that group kind of like gave me a bit of the, like we say in Portuguese, a bit of an itch to actually you know, do something about it, try some shit out. Yeah. And I did. And it was very confronting and hard. But at the same time, I was able to realize how happy I was with the changes. Nice. And well, there are mostly changes about how I presented, about, you know, embracing a lot of my femininity, embracing kind of a, not just femininity for parties or something, but really embracing my femininity and presenting as a femme presenting on an everyday basis. So um, for me, like, you know, I go there with a bunch of doubts and kind of like hating the world for not seeing me as a femme. Mm-hmm. The next time I go to that support group, I'm like fucking full femme magic bomb bitch <laughs> because I had <laughs> gone through bad. like an intensive camp being in Berlin full femme for two weeks, yeah, taking all the transphobia, taking all the shit. And then... After I was, you know, past that and alive, I was like, you know what? I can take this. This is me. Wow. So then coming to a support group where a lot of people were in a lot of doubt about themselves and being that unapologetic, like I was shining, not to be arrogant or anything, but I just felt like I was in a different position. I mean, I I can tell that the way you described how you came back from Berlin, you start to light up again. (laughs) Yeah, it was it was just a really strong experience. So, yeah. So and, you're like, and let's... they weren't very queer as well. Like, it was very trans, and that was really cool. Mm-hmm. But I felt like they didn't have so, like, the organizers and the people who were there didn't have so much knowledge about queer, about non-binary, about different ways to present, and you know, queer issues in general. And I. And I wanted something that was a bit more like that, that I could, you know, bring in yeah. more complicated topics. Seems like the most complicated topic is family. <laughs> okay. I mean, in all fairness, family is a complicated topic, but I can very much understand that. It uh, it sounds like they were a little bit too much adhering to a gender binary there. Oh, no. they actually It actually was a non-binary support group. But oh, all right. No, family was the one that I brought into my new support group that was very hard for everybody. But yeah, so then I just kind of had the idea of doing one myself and got in touch with the people at Savannah Bay. And they were actually, I didn't hear from them for a while, so I thought it was an issue that they didn't want it. Yeah. But then I met the person who was coordinating They're like, oh no, yeah, I really want this. This would be great. And I was like, then um, why didn't you reply to the email? Yeah, they're like, huh? You didn't reply to my email. And then I found out that their email never arrived, but they had sent it. Oh, all right. It was an issue with the email of that person, and I almost didn't get any of their emails. Sounds like you ran into them, but yeah, 
great going for for making it happen. Yeah. So you've been doing this for over a near over a year now. Do you know almost notice? two years? Almost two years. Oh wow. So do you notice a shift in the way how you approach this support group? Um, I think I have a lot of experience now, a lot more experience, of course. Um, I think my approach has been more or less the same since the beginning. I think experience, of course, gives me a lot of insights, mm -hmm. but it always has been about inclusivity. Yeah. Um, I say it's trans, non-binary, questioning, like basically if you don't, if you think you're not cis, you're welcome. Right. And if you're cis, you're welcome to come and listen. And a lot of times I do make the people who are there as allies or something participate because I think that everybody has their own um, experiences with gender and with issues that we all face. And if we're talking inclusivity, I'm not saying, oh, we need to include cis people and hear their experiences. But, you know, if they're there, if they're, you know, respectful, I think sometimes building those bridges is actually good for the cis person. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. It gives a little bit more insight, makes more, as more, under, makes them more understanding, maybe. Yeah, and it becomes less of an us and them. Oh, yeah, that know? definitely, too. It's, it becomes less of a fight between two camps. Yeah, we just share experiences, and they're different. And, you know, there's a reason why it's a support group for non-binary, queer, trans, etc. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, so the inclusivity for me is very important, and I'm very happy that the, all the feedback that I get is that it's a very welcoming group, that people feel very comfortable to go there and open up, Right. Even people who are shy or who are there the first time. And of course, that's that's something that I really enjoy and something that I work for. But it's also about the group and the group um, being this open and being, you know, very respectful and listening. And So how much time a week do you put into this? Because like it's a once a month thing. But like, does it take a lot of prepping? Mm, I tend to be really bad at prepping. Right. Um because of headspace and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I wing a lot of the things. A lot of times I'm still prepping at the moment of the meeting. <laughs> a lot of people have seen me do that. Um, but for me, it's mostly the, I think it's in a way I'm always prepping. Like I am constantly reading about stuff. I am talking to my partner, Non, who is an amazing support group leader and who taught me almost everything. Wow. And, you know, I ask them questions. I'm, you know, constantly checking on them. Hey, this and this happened. I react more or less like this. And what do you think? And then, you know, they give me feedback and I learn from that. And um, so in a way, that's the constant um, prepping that I, that I live. And then at the moment itself, it's kind of, you know, basically just acknowledging the room, acknowledging the people and being a bit careful here and there with who's there if there's someone who needs to communicate in a special way, if there's someone who, right. for example, is on the is on the spectrum and has issues, for example, with verbal communication, okay, so how can I include this person and give everybody, you know, um, this good time? Well, good time is a funny way to put it, but, you know, yeah. that they can share, that they feel that, you know, it's still a safer space for them to come and to share and et cetera. And you're just kind of still stuck on 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 the fact that you've you know you've obviously gained a lot of experience, but you've been doing this for two years in pretty much the same way because it implies that the change that sparked the support group, like the the the, the huge leap that you took for yourself, didn't happen again over the past two years. So is like is your own experience stagnating in that sense? Mm, not really. I think my own experience is really changing bits here and there every every time but um i feel like now i'm a lot more supported in a bunch of different ways mm. does and, the support group help yourself uh, help you as a person as well yeah of course the support group really teaches me a lot about myself and a lot of other things and yeah maybe gender right now is not that much on top of the new discoveries and more on uh, continuing the process Right. But there's always things like it's, you know, the support group made me think, hmm, maybe I'm on the spectrum, you know. Right. And what does that mean? How do I, how do I go there? And 
for example, how do I include people on the spectrum? The, the spectrum you're referring to being... Autism spectrum. Exactly. Because I feel like a lot of a lot of activism, and especially online activism, is really bad with neurodivergence. As I like to say, I've literally so. seen exchanges that were, oh, you can't say this, this is racist. Huh? What do you mean? Oh, don't tell a black person to explain stuff to you. Wait, it's not that. I'm just dyslexic. Oh, no, you can't use that. But I really don't understand. So it's this kind of like discussion between two people who have their own issues. And sure, they might have said something racist, but they might have also not understood why. And right. it's something that comes not with negligence or, you know, bad faith. But, you know, it's it's a different way to communicate. Rezal probably also... Uh, is because you can't see each other, maybe? Yeah, of course. Like I People being more rude on the internet, obviously. Yeah, and it, it comes a lot with, it's very hard to hold space, very hard to make a space safer. It's only letters on a screen. You can't yeah. see face. You can't see body. You can't see all these little clues that we always take when we're speaking to each other that you can't have online. Um, from online, let's move into live. Uh, best life experience is broken social scene. Yep. Broken social, uh, broken social scene, forced to love, uh, released 2010. Was that when you saw them live for this tour? Um, I think it was either 2010 or 2011, which is not only their tour; it was their last tour. They were actually breaking up when I saw them live. I think it was in 2011 that I saw them live, and they were breaking up, and it was a super long concert which for me was amazing and they were just really playing it out it was in rio and in a really good uh, concert venue which is not very big cool. but very good and yeah they literally called feist in the middle of the concert wow which was a bit hilarious and put her on speakerphone and she was like huh what yeah we'll call you from rio what, what are you talking about <laughs> Which then on the Feist concert that I also went to, she did the same thing. She also oh, no called the uh, she called the dude who called her and be like, "Hey, I'm in Rio." He's like, huh, "What? What are you talking? About? Why? Just, is, <laughs> is that a running gag those two artists have? Or, well, they are in the same like Feist is also part of Broken Social Scene, which is this huge oh, collective of artists. Okay, yeah, or was or was always singing in it. I don't really know exactly, but yeah. It was, and I think around that time she had canceled the concert. Right. Because it was, she had some issues with her throat. So then it was a bit like, hey, we're in Rio playing. You canceled your call. But you, you said they were broken, uh, they were breaking up. But it looks like they're back together again. Yes. Yeah. Which I also didn't know exactly that they had done it. But that was kind of like their goodbye. That was their last concert on that was supposed to be their last tour which is why it took like three and a half hours or something oh yeah or that four. actually makes sense but uh you described this as your best life experience your best life show you ever went to is that just because of those phone calls or what made it so special i think what made it so special is how much the band was really living that moment right like the fact that they called feist is hilarious 
Mm-hmm. And there are like a ton of hilarious little um, little things that happen during that concert. Like a fan annoying them so much to play a song that they did and said, this one's for you. You, you're the one with a sign. We're going to play this. We weren't, but we're going to play this just because of you. So congratulations. A bit <laughs> annoying. passive aggressive about it. Yeah, but they did play the song. And I was like, yeah, this is actually pretty cool. But oh, wow. Yeah, they really were. Yeah, I think for me, it's like they were really in it. And so many times you can see bands that are like, oh, really good, but, you know, they're not really there. Right, kind of going through the motions, maybe. Yeah. Like performing well musically, but hardly any emotion there. Yeah, exactly. And I think this one just had a lot of emotion in it. And that's what made it so good, that they were they were sad to go. They didn't want to leave. They didn't want to stop, because once they stopped... That was their last concert. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense that they're back together now then. Yeah, I if, think so too. Do you know why they wanted to split up in the first place? No clue. All right. Uh, you said you'd go to concerts uh, not that often. Um, it comes with not having money to spend concert, to spend on concert tickets. Yep. But uh, did you go in Rio more than you go here? Yeah. Um I think I was telling you a bit earlier, like in Rio, I actually had a career. Not that waitressing isn't a very respectable career. It is. It just isn't mine. Mm-hmm. And I don't make a lot of money either. But in, in Rio, when I lived there, I actually had like a better paying job. And with that, you know, also not having to pay rent because living with my parents, um, it was easier to, you know, save some money here and there, be able to go to a concert or two. and Right. And enjoy it more. It still wasn't like a lot, but it's still a lot more than than here, for example. What was your career? Because you never told me about that. Um, so I have a bachelor in film, and I did a bunch of things every now and then. But at that time, I was um, mostly doing post production and, um, yeah, post production in general. I think at the time that I saw this concert, I might have been unemployed. Or working post-production, or working on national television as a director, as assistant. But as someone with uh, with a bachelor in film, you strike me as someone who would also very much appreciate the visual aspect of live shows. Does that apply for the broken social scene as well? Not really. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was a basic show. Not the answer I expected. Yeah, if I went from there, probably would have been Radiohead. That was a really good one. But again... The emotion of them playing together, that last concert, really was strong. Right. Um, how You did go to shows in the Netherlands, I presume? Yeah, a few. How would you describe the differences between audiences here in, in, in Rio? Um, a lot of Dutch dudes are very annoying as they get beers, go to the front of the stage and then just talk as if it's a bar. Okay, yeah, that's Which is a very common complaint. Very annoying. Um, people don't sing. People just don't sing. Like, if they you don't? go to a Brazilian concert, everybody knows all the lyrics and is singing together. Sometimes right. to songs that weren't officially released. Oh, wow. Yeah, like the ultra fans will go on, get like pre-recordings and know all the lyrics for the concert before the song's released. I think that happened on a Franz Ferdinand show. They were like, wait, huh? How do you all know these lyrics? <laughs> so someone just went out and typed everything out on the internet and spread it through. Yeah, you get a pre-recording somewhere, wow. you just share it around, the biggest fans will know it. Yeah, that sounds like something that could happen. I feel like something that still happens with bands that have a really uh, have, have a really strong fan base. Yeah. But yeah, no, you're right. I've never experienced it myself. I also feel like, though, like when I go to a concert, I go there to hear the people sing who made the original recording, not the rando next to me. Yeah, but I think when you have like a full crowd singing, you get a different experience. Okay, that's definitely true. And I think, for example, for for Brazilians, you don't just experience a concert with your ears. If you do that, you stay home and listen to a record which is way better than what a concert would ever, will ever be. You go there for the energy. And if you're going there for the energy, then, you know, 
singing together and singing while you experience the music just you know makes us vibrate together i don't know i i I am somebody who if i really love a song i will sing together with it and if it's in a concert that's even stronger because you know you're seeing this artist that you really love and you really know the song and you're really like for me i'm really experiencing that moment and experiencing that song and you know just shouting it sometimes and just feels really good oh yeah yeah no i've had my moments there but you know to be honest it's been a while i can yeah no i don't think i can remember when i actively sang along to a song uh well i was singing along to a lot of these little songs that we played here today oh yeah i noticed i noticed <laughs> um but uh tying into something you you also mentioned uh before you go to uh parties uh quite often i feel like uh, i've i've been in your apartment seen the posters for those uh, for those for those queer parties what do you prefer like a live show or like parties like those um it depends right i think in general i like parties like those a bit more um and as if we're talking about parties like those we're talking about the gender bending queer party which is a party that used to happen in Rotterdam and that I used to organize. So I am biased, but, you know, with a party like that where it was for queers, you know, organized by queers, where we focus on making that place a safer space for queers, mm-hmm. that's just a better place to be and to enjoy myself. And in concerts, you know, we talk about the annoying dudes. Yeah. And they're fucking everywhere. And... Even in like queer bands and queer performances, you know, there's just not that much of that care for keeping that a safer space for queers. Right. It's just something that doesn't happen. And, you know, sometimes I miss a bit of the, you know, the riot girl, girls to the front, you know. Right. Yeah. Girls to the front, guys to the back. I mean, there's like, there there are a few artists who still do that. I want to say the Fever Ray and stuff. Who... Uh, Tammy T actually produced a record for, um, but yeah, no, um, but you're talking in past tense there. I wasn't aware that they, that you don't do that anymore. Yeah. We stopped doing that last year. We had our last party last year. Um, why did it stop? Because it was too much. The truth is to make a good queer party, to keep the place safe, to do everything. It's a lot of work. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And for us, it was just very tiring. And, you know, one of one of the organizers had a, a burnout. I was getting into a burnout as well and experiencing some hard things in my own life. So, and to be honest, we had a big crew that helped mm-hmm. us on the day itself, which is really important. But, you know, on the everyday business towards the party, preparation for the party, like a lot of times I was basically alone. Right. And then when the last one came up, like, well, before the last one, I said, look, if I'm going to produce this one by myself, I'm not going to do another one. Right. It's just not possible. It's too too draining. Too intense, too draining, too much. um, Well, we also, in a way, had a reputation, right? Like, we had to keep the parties in the kind of like the same quality. Right. Which... You know, what, even what? in the broader sense of quality, but at least, you know, for ourselves. So that's just a lot of work. It's like, a, did you set the bar too high for yourself? Um, I think in a way we set the bar exactly how high it needed to be. Right. That's just really hard. Okay. Yeah. Like the bar needs to be high. If you're going to have a good queer party, again, queer or queer, by queers, and that, you know, is actively holding space for queers to have fun during the night. Yeah. It's a lot of work. So when it comes to providing the safe spaces, providing a fun atmosphere, that was at the proper level, it just took too much work than you could actually handle. Yeah, exactly. And it's not something that we, you know, had a paying job for. Yeah. Like, sure, if... Me and another person had that as our jobs. Sure, we could probably still produce those. Yeah. But 
you know. Then also on the condition that you could quit other jobs so you could have more time and mental space to do so. Yeah, exactly. Then, you know, I could do that. Oh, that would be great. All right. But if I would have asked you to, um, say, uh, bring in your favorite party song instead of your best life experience, what would it be? Ooh, that's a hard one. It changes so much. What would it be right now then? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? The next song that we're gonna play. Oh, all right, all right. Segway. Segway. There we go. Then we might as well play it. Here we go, people. discovery that was Lizzo juice um, is it though is it really because this has been such a hit I can't imagine you not coming across any new songs before that well, happy, come always on. happy to play Lizzo but come on of course I've heard stuff after that I hear I hear music a lot so there's always something that comes after but to be honest this is the latest thing that really like Yeah, this is the latest discovery of importance, let's say. Right. I don't remember what was the latest thing that I found. Like, yeah, probably some 80 song that I hadn't heard yet. But this was the last one that when I heard it, and it's kind of funny, I was actually on a different podcast. Um, shout outs to Olava Talks podcasts. Um, but yeah, and then she said something about, you know, that being her juice. And I didn't really get it. And then a friend of mine who listened to the podcast said, I can't believe you hadn't heard of Juice from Lizzo. And I was like, oh, well, I guess I should. And then I saw the music video and I was like instantly in love with everything. The song is just so freaking good. So, yeah. So that was the latest song that I think like, if you think about, oh, what was the last one that you discovered? Yeah, this is the last song that I discovered and that really did something to me. That really got into rotation. Yeah, that's now like, well, it's my party song. If if there's one party song yeah. right now, it's this one. It's just, it has a bit of everything. Like, it's fun. It's poppy. It's very dancey. It's very unapologetic. Yeah. Like, yeah. I heard you say I'm not the baddest bitch. You lie. <laughs> like that's that's just such a good verse and like fuck yeah yeah it's overflowing with confidence and you gotta love that about Lizzo yeah and exactly yeah uh, with everything music videos life experience uh, life shows um but from there uh you said you found out about Lizzo through friends is that how you discover most new music or is it just like everybody else just with Spotify um I think it's a bit of a mix A lot of times it's through Spotify. Sometimes it's through friends. A lot of times it's through my partner. Um, my partner and I, we really share a love for music in general, mm -hmm. pop music, different music. So we show each other a lot of things. So I was the one, for example, feeling like, hey, have you heard this song from Lizzo? It's fucking, it's fucking good. And then they heard it and they really liked it. But the other times they're showing me songs. And it's like, oh, have you heard this song? This song is great. Yeah. Like they sh they're the ones who showed me Tammy T. And I was like, Fucking hell, this song is good. Coming back to Tammy T, I mean, we've had a song that made us cry. We've had a song that's like literally your favorite party song. It then this just 
rockish broken social scene song it's all very diverse is that like is it representative for your music taste in general yes i'm a very diverse person when it comes to music and i'm not one of those oh yeah i just listen to everything and then they only listen to like indie rock oh yeah no i actually listen to well maybe not the children's song anymore but everything else that's in here is pretty much part of my rotation like i listen to a lot of tammy t i listen to a lot of lizzo i listen to even you know broken social scene and other indie stuff right like that's just yeah that's just how i roll and from there you know with that diverse music taste it brings us to the overarching question of this podcast what does music mean to you in your daily life well i think music has a lot of different meanings for me um i think a very strong part of it is music that hits me in a way that brings out emotions like the Tammy T song but also music that you know lifts me up and can bring out that confidence that I sometimes have in me like the Lizzo song um music for me is something that's just really part of my life on an everyday basis i'm usually cycling listening to music um last year i had a very difficult time i was playing depeche mode nonstop at work <laughs> which my coworkers really enjoyed by the way. <clears throat> Not that I was feeling like shit, but you know, at least I was playing the patch mode while I was feeling like shit. Right, yeah. And yeah, I think music is really an integral part of who I am and and how I experience life in a way. That that sounds more deep than it needed to be, but but it's true like I mean it can be deep whenever you want it to be. That's something you are, that's that's something like I want to trigger, right? I want to make people think about this type of stuff. No, uh, but yeah, and and you know, if we're talking about diversity as well, I think going a bit back to the activism part, which is kind of a funny one. Like, I think this diversity is also like, yeah, I'm a trans woman, I'm trans feminine, I'm non-binary, but you know, I can also like indie rock. I can also like to party. Yeah, you know. There's a lot of diversity because a lot of times, you know, trans people go, oh, you're trans. So let's talk about trans things. So there's going to be five trans artists here. It's like, no. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's also like an important thing, right? It's uh, it's an important feature of you as a person, but not your only feature. Yeah, exactly. Whereas I was... trans people often get boiled down to be just that. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. It really is one of the most important things that I'm dealing with right now, but I've dealt with a lot of things in my life before this. You know, a lot of things in my life before coming out as trans. Yeah. And yeah, and that's where a lot of my formative years comes from. That's where a lot of my music taste comes from. Um, you know, I'm also Brazilian. I also listened to music like Bia Bidrão when I was a kid. And these are all things that make me who I am today. And on that note, I think it's time where gonna sign off uh i want to thank lou for coming into the studio again hey always uh, good to be here it's a great studio it it is it is big shout out to uh hu um we've got great news because this will be the first episode that's going live uh available on itunes yes dear people we're on itunes now uh so if you're listening through spotify do you prefer itunes give that a try otherwise we're also available through your favorite podcasting app so wherever you get your podcast and uh, with that if you want to reach out to this podcast for questions or complaints or whatever if you want to uh you know reach out for us uh, to us for whichever reason you can do that we're at uh, queer sounds pod at gmail.com queer sounds pod on twitter or just through the website queersounds.com i want to thank you all again for listening once again my name is hannah and we'll see you next time 